Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our In the World, Not of It series, which walks through the book of 1 Corinthians, showing how we are citizens of a better country. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you. We would love to hear how God used it in your life. There is so much in the book of Corinthians. Uh, and uh, before we kind of get the, the context and the background again, I just want to ask you, if you've ever had a time in your life when, uh, <clears throat> when you thought that you were really accomplishing something, you thought you were doing a really, really good job, only to find out that somebody else was really doing the work. You ever had that happen? You say, well, what do you mean, pastor? I remember when I was a kid, and uh, you know, when I was probably just three and four years old, my dad would be driving, and he would say to me, hey, do you want to drive? Well, of course I want to drive. And so my dad would grab me and put me over right in front of him, and I'd sit on my dad's lap, and I'd, I'd put my hands at 10 and 2, right where he told me, you know, put your hands right there. And, uh, and man, I'll tell you what, when I drove that, I was the best driver there was. I was the best four-year-old driver there was on the streets of Greeley, Colorado. And there was a lot, mind you. I was the best one. I never hit a curb. I never hit a pedestrian. That's good. I never hit my sisters. Now, that, that takes, that takes self-control. You know what? I'd, I'd put my hands on the steering wheel, and I thought, I am, man, I'm getting it done. I'm the best driver ever, ever. So there's a tongue twisted again. I thought, man, I'm, I'm, I'm so good at this. But the truth is, while I have my hands at 10 and 2, dad still had his hand on the steering wheel right there. And I was too short to even reach the pedals. I, I, my, he is still pressing the gas, still pressing the brake. You know what I was doing? I was just filling a seat. That's what I was doing. I, I thought that I was really accomplishing something. I thought that, man, I, I have this great, you know, even at five and six years old, I could drive a car, you know, and I remember telling my friends at school, I drove this weekend, you know, and, and they're like, yeah, right. And I'm like, no, really, I did. You know, I'm the best driver there is. And man, the fact of the matter is it was dad the whole time. I found a video a, a few months ago that uh, it kind of depicts this for us in the fact of sometimes thinking that we're accomplishing a lot when we really aren't doing any of the work. <laughs> How many of you have seen that video on the internet recently at all? I, I saw that a few months ago and I thought, that is hilarious. <laughs> but here's, why, here's what I want to tell you this morning. <clears throat> if we're not careful, listen, if we're not careful, we can allow that mindset to be the way we look at our walk with God and our Christianity. And we can begin, listen, we can begin to think, wow, God, you really got something when you got me. Wow, God, I, I'm, really, I'm really doing something for you. Wow, God. And we can begin to think that our Christianity depends upon us. When the fact of the matter is, really, really, the fact of the matter is that it's all God. It's all God. We think, we think we're doing the hula hoop. You know, we think, man, I got this thing down. And God's going, really? 
This morning, as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, we find Paul, again, and, and we'll just kind of get, get some context of this and, and connect the dots here this morning. But remember with me that Corinth, the, the city of Corinth, it was the place to be. Man, the city of Corinth, it was awesome. It was the place to be. If you, as a matter of fact, during that time, if you were a person that really uh, wanted to move somewhere and kind of be... In, with, with everybody in, in the world, basically, and have a, a great strategic location, be able to go from ruin to riches in one generation. If you wanted to have good economic growth for yourself and your family, if you wanted to be in a place where there's trade and commerce and, and political protection and where there's, I mean, really just opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, you'd go to Corinth. At the time, at the time that Paul would be writing this letter, at the time in the, in the known world, of course, Rome would be the leading uh, the, the empire at the time, uh, but Corinth was even at times, many believe, more popular than even the very, the very the city of Rome. Corinth had the, the largest shopping complex in the entire known world. Corinth was known because it set, if you remember, we gave the word, it set upon that, the, that isthmus, the, the four-mile stretch that separated the east from the west, and Corinth was a great place because of its strategic location. But we've also discovered that Corinth was a very immoral place. Corinth was a very deprived place. Corinth was a place with, with many gods. Corinth was a place known for prostitution. Corinth was a place known for, for trafficking. Corinth was a place for known for having uh, eight or nine temples to eight or nine different gods. And, and Corinth was really, it was that city that maybe it was popular, but once you got there and got in, you discovered that Corinth was a rotten city. And it was a popular city, but it was rotten to the core. Paul comes in, and we discovered all this last week. You can go read it, Acts chapter 18. Paul comes in, and he travels from the city of Athens. We'll see this again briefly in a few minutes. But he travels from Athens. He comes into Corinth. And, and when he gets into Corinth, man, he sees the sin and the filth, and he sees the deprivation of everything going on there. And Paul is kind of frustrated. He's fearful. We'll see all of this today. But he, he decides, you know what, God, I know you want me to do something. And God comes to him and says, Paul, just speak for me and give people me. And God uses Paul to establish an incredible church in the city of Corinth. He uses Paul to start this great church in Corinth. And as a matter of fact, for a year and a half, Paul is there and he's discipling people and he's leading people to Christ and he's reaching people. And he's, Paul is just doing a lot for the Lord. Well, he leaves. And with that, uh, there's a couple that Paul met, Aquila and Priscilla. They leave with him. So now there's really not, there's not a big uh, leadership there. And long story short, a few years go by of Paul being gone and he hears that church is in a mess. The, the, the church at Corinth, they're in a mess. The church resembles Corinth more than they resemble Christ. And the church, they, they reflect the city and culture around them more than the Jesus that's within them. And so Paul writes back and he, he writes to them a letter and, and kind of corrects them a little bit, but they don't listen. And Paul hears again, he hears again from the house of Chloe. We saw this last week in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. That Paul hears from the house of Chloe and from uh, Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus and, and Apollos himself. Paul hears from these people, these individuals, that the city of Corinth, the church of Corinth, they, they, never, they didn't listen to you, Paul. And, and their, things are worse than they've ever been. And so Paul pens another letter to them. 
And that's the letter that we have in 1 Corinthians. See, 1 Corinthians is actually the letter, the second letter that Paul would write to them. It's the second one. And he writes to them about some crazy things. I've said it every week. I mean, just this was a church that was messed up to the core. But the number one thing that I believe the church at Corinth was dealing with, the number one thing was their pride. Their pride. They were a big church. They were a gifted church. They were in a popular city, so they were a popular church. They had a, they had a very rich heritage. Paul started the church. Apollos, one of the best preachers of the time, pastored the church, and, and Peter had some influence within the church. I mean, they, they, they had a lot to be proud of, and that pride really drove every decision they made. And really what they did is they adopted the pride of the culture, and they allowed it to become their pride. And they allowed themselves to begin thinking, wow, we are really something. Wow, we are accomplishing a lot. Wow, we are pretty successful. Wow, we are really gifted. Wow, we are really growing. And, and can I just say this morning, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, pride can creep into the heart of any one of us. And this morning, I'm going to go, and we're, we're going to take time to go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. We're going to discover Paul helping them with this thought. Hey, it has nothing to do with you. <laughs> Hey, you're, you have pride in your salvation. Your salvation had nothing to do with you except for the fact that you received it. Hey, you're, you're being proud in your wisdom, thinking you have a lot of knowledge. Hey, listen, God's spirit is the one that allows you to be able to see things and understand things and sort things out. Hey, your pride, your pride has driven you to think that you can, you can, you know what decisions to make and which direction to go and you can kind of help yourself out and pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and, and Paul is going to write to them, no, 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 no. No, listen, once you trust Christ as your savior, the Holy Spirit moves in and then God wants to use his word to direct your life and help you. It has nothing to do with you. This morning, I want to talk to us about that idea that it has nothing to do with us because, again, if we're, if we're honest, all too often we can get proud, allow our pride to dictate the directions of our life. And this morning, Paul's going to remind Corinth and remind us it has nothing to do with you. Take your Bible, if you would, and let's stand. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. <clears throat> And we're going to read just the first five verses for right now. We'll go through the whole chapter today. We're going to be here until about 2 o'clock, but that'll be okay. It's already hot outside anyway, and it's warm in here, but it's all right. Who cares? We're going to have a good time. I'm kidding. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 this morning and verse number 1, Paul writes this. And I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or, or of wisdom, Declaring unto me, but I came unto you, declaring unto you the, the testimony of God, the, the witness, the story, the, the declaration of who God is. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ. That phrase, I determined not to know anything among you, is, is I determined not to give you anything except for who Jesus is and Him crucified. And I, I was with you, I, I was with you in weakness. I was with you in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching, it was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit 
and of power that your faith, so that your faith should stand, be grounded in, founded in, not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul is saying to these believers at Corinth, he's saying to them, hey, listen, in this passage, we're going to see him saying, hey, listen, stop being driven by your pride because it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with me. So Paul's saying to him, listen, I, I didn't save you. I didn't, I didn't call you. Listen, God is the one where your faith stands and it's in God that your faith should continue. And if we're not careful, we, we can become too reliant upon ourselves and upon our culture. And this morning, I'm gonna challenge us. This week, this week, let's remember it has nothing to do with me. Let's pray and we'll get right into the message today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take a minute? Why don't you take a minute and uh, just in the quietness of, of your own heart, would you ask God to speak to you? Ask God to help you today to hear from him and to be able to respond to him. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to come before you today and we want to thank you for your love and your care for us. We want to thank you for, God, just who you are and how you work in our lives. God, I want to thank you for the fact that you have a message for us today that you want to work. And God, I want to pray that as we go through the, the word of God today and the message that you would just, um, that you'd just help. Thank you for being good to us. Thank you for what you're going to say. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> As we come to 1 Corinthians this morning, just for the uh, sake of time, I, wa I want to just kind of read through the entire chapter. We'll refer to a couple other verses through it, but I want to just continue reading. So take your Bible, let's go to verse number six and continue reading what Paul says. Because he says, how be it? How be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect? That word perfect, it means complete or uh, made complete in Christ. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But... God, he hath revealed them unto us by his spirit, for or because the spirit searcheth all things. That word searcheth, it doesn't mean to try to decipher and find out. The word searcheth would basically mean that the spirit knows all these things. Yea, he knows the deep things of God. For what man, what man, who, what man knows the, the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Um, Paul's asking a question, who knows, who knows you better than you? Well, you know you. Now, your spouse might know you, your kids might know you, but who knows the real you? Well, you know you. Okay, notice what he says, he continues. He says, even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. So who can know God? Well, the Spirit 
The Holy Spirit, which is God, knows God. We'll, we'll connect all the dots in just a minute. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, so that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural, the unsaved man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness, or foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. They uh, can't understand spiritual things. But he that is spiritual judgeth, or examineth, or sorts out all things. Yet he himself is judge of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. Really, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we could break it up and I could preach probably about five messages out of just chapter 2. There is, it is so deep with help and truth that, that I think will challenge us. But for the sake of not being in this series for two years, we're condensing it down to one message. And so today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk quickly. I'm going to throw out some thoughts and we're going we're gonna to dive into this chapter. We're not going to really dissect every verse. We're just going to try to get the overall concept of what Paul is getting at. And that overall concept, I believe, is simply this thought that your Christian life, the success, if I can say it this way, the success of your Christian life, the accomplishments in your Christian life, it has nothing to do with you or with the culture around you, so quit leaning into it. Quit allowing culture to be your main influence. Quit allowing your own mind and your own heart to be your main influence. No, 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 no. Everything started with God and everything continues with God. And here's, here's the reason I bring all that up this morning is because if we're not careful, we can begin to think, listen, don't miss it today, we can begin to think that our Christian life, listen, that our Christian life is dependent upon how we perform. I'm going to say that again. If we're not careful, we can begin to think that our Christian life is dependent upon how we perform. Let me ask you a question. For those of you that know Christ as your Savior, did you get saved based upon anything that you did or didn't do? No. No, you got saved simply because you received the word of God. Someone will say, well, that's what I did. I received the word of God. No, 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 I'm talking about works. No, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's according to his mercy that he saved us. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Hey, your salvation is not dependent upon anything you do. And so we have to remember then that if my salvation is not performance-based, then my Christian life and God's love towards me and his acceptance of me and God's desire and purpose in my life, that too is not performance-based. And that's a, good, that's a good thought that every Christian needs to come back to continually. How many remember VHS tapes? A lot of, lot of people, some of you are like, how many are, you know, you didn't, what do you remember? And in television, you know, or whatever. Uh, some of you remember before TV. How many of you didn't have a TV in your home? I'm just kidding. Don't, don't raise your hand if you were pre-TV. I'm not asking that. VHS tapes. If you ever went to, if you ever went to a, a blockbuster or something like that to rent a VHS tape, on every VHS tape, Every VHS tape, 
It says, be kind, please rewind. Yeah, be kind and please rewind. What are they saying? Hey, take it back to the beginning. You know what Paul's doing in 1 Corinthians chapter number two? He's saying, hey, your pride is ruining a lot of things. I wanna take you back to the beginning. Well, how does Paul take us back to the beginning? Notice first off today that Paul takes us back to the beginning, reminding us it has nothing to do with us because he states this truth. Hey, it is God's power that saves us. Hey, God's power saved you. Verses one through five Paul states in these verses the simple fact that we are not saved based upon the message of a person. We're saved completely based upon the power of God. When Paul says in verse number one through three, when he says, I didn't come to you with with man's wisdom or an excellency of speech, uh, Paul understood this, and you gotta listen fast today, all right? So just pretend, just shake your head. That'll make me speed things up, all right? Some of you really wanna get out of here. Uh, Corinth, now, now Corinth, and we have to understand kind of the Greek uh, mindset of those days. Um, uh, go to Acts 17 at some point, not right now, but go to Acts 17. You're gonna read, read at the end of Acts chapter number 17 that Paul is preaching in the town of Athens. He's preaching upon uh, Mars Hill. It's a, a, um, an area where public speakers would go. And the response of the people there in, in Athens Some of them said, uh, we're not going to believe you, and they scorned his message. Others said this. They said something along the lines of, wow, we like your wisdom. We like the way you word things. We are going to come back. Here's the concept that I'm getting at. During that time, everybody in the Greek world, they were interested in rhetoric. They were interested in convincing sayings. One historian actually said it this way, specifically about Corinth, that if you came into Corinth and you were a great orator, you were a great speaker, that you were judged upon the greatness of of your abilities, not if you could convince people of things that they already knew were true, but if you could convince them of things that they knew were a complete lie. So if you could stand up and I could convince you right now that Troy's sitting down, if I could convince Troy that he was standing up right now, I could convince him that you're, you're not sitting, you're standing. And by, by my argument and debate, if I could convince him of that, yeah, maybe, I may, man, I am standing. Even though he's not standing, the people of Corinth, they would go, wow, you are a masterful speaker. But it was just lying. So when Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter number two, I didn't come to you with man's wisdom or excellency of speech, he's saying, I didn't come to you trying to convince you of something that wasn't true. No, when I came to you, I came to you in demonstration of spirit, declaring unto you the testimony of God. You know what Paul is simply saying in these first five verses? When I came to you, all I did was preach Jesus and him crucified. Do you know why? It's because Paul understood. If I go in there with rhetoric and I go in there with convincing words and I go in there with man's wisdom, they're going to think I'm trying to persuade them and they're going to believe because of my persuasive speech. But the fact of the matter is, listen today, no one goes to heaven because of believing a persuasive speech from somebody. And that's what Paul gets to. No, no, no. The only reason you go to heaven, the only reason you have salvation, the only reason that you know for sure that heaven can be your home is because you believed in the crucified Christ. That's it. That's the foundation. 
If you were here last week, do you remember Paul going to that emphasis last week? Hey, it's about, it's about the cross. All throughout Corinthians, Paul is going to do that. He keeps bringing it back to the cross. Why? Because in every Christian's life, each and every day, we need to continually come back to the cross. Come back to the cross. Hey, tomorrow morning when you get up, come back to the cross. Why? Because I got saved by the power of God, not my own doing. And so I can live today because of the power of God, not my own doing. And here's what Paul's getting at. When I came to you, I did not come to you in the power of the flesh. I didn't come to you leaning into my own abilities or my own speech. No, no, no. I came to declare. The word declare, the declaration is to proclaim or to announce with authority the testimony of God. And the testimony of God is simply just the story of God. But I want you to notice something that most people just skip right over. Because in verse number three, Paul says, and when I was with you, I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Now, why does this matter? We, we really don't have the time this morning to, to hit all of the history. But when Paul came to Corinth on this time in Acts 18, it was his second, they call it a missionary journey. It was, I call it his second church planting trip because Paul went about just starting churches. He was a church planter. This was his second major trip. Notice what Paul says. When I, when I came to you, I came to you completely weak, in weakness. Well, why would Paul say that? Let me rehearse for you a few of the challenges that Paul had faced leading up to his year, or the years leading up to his time in Corinth. On his first missionary journey, Paul would be in Cyprus. Him and Barnabas, they were withstood by a sorcerer. In Antioch, they were persecuted by envious Jews. In Iconium, they were threatened by Jewish leaders, and they were going to be stoned, and they had to flee for their lives. Ultimately, in Lystra and Derbe, the Jews from Iconium would come and seek out Paul and stone him and leave him for dead. Paul would go back to Jerusalem, rest, he would heal, and then he would go out on his second journey. On this second journey, him and Silas would travel back to Derby and Lystra, the very place that he was left for dead, to Iconium and to Antioch, up through Mysia and Troas. So now they've put literally hundreds and thousands of miles on, their, on traveling, and it wasn't like they'd hop on a plane. They would be worn out from weeks and weeks and weeks and months of travel by foot and by sea and, and by uh, horseback. They would sail into the land of the Macedonia region. It was there that they would go to the city of Philippi and be arrested and persecuted for their faith and beaten for their faith and thrown in jail. And then they would get released. After their release, they traveled to Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, they began to preach and unbelieving Jews began to persecute them and begin to beat new believers. And so Paul and Silas, they left Thessalonica. They went to Berea. In Berea, those unbelieving Jews from Thessalonica traveled to Berea for the purpose of, again, continuing to beat or to persecute Paul and Silas. From there, Paul would separate. He, by himself, would go to Athens. He would preach Christ in Athens, and people there would they would say to him, we don't believe, and they would begin to scoff and mock and, and scorn him. Others, they, would, uh, they, they came to him with the attitude of uh, uh, tons of questions and the convince me attitude. Oh, yeah, well. Oh, yeah, well. And they were very antagonistic on him. And then Paul would end up in Corinth. So when Paul is in Corinth and he says, I was in you in weakness, if that had been your previous four years, I think you would write the same thing. I came to you in weakness. 
when Paul was actually ministering in Corinth, he wrote the book of 1 Thessalonians. Here's what he wrote to the, book, to the church at Thessalonica while he was in Corinth. He said, therefore, brethren, I was com- we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. He had received word when he was in Corinth that things were going well in Thessalonica. And he says, listen, I needed it. I was comforted because I had been afflicted and I was in a, a state of distress. So when Paul says, I came to you in weakness, he wasn't just, you know, uh, it wasn't just trying to say something that would be uh, uh, just a comfort to them, just using words. No, he's like, listen, I came to you in weakness and I came to you in fear. Did you know Paul was afraid about speaking the truth of God? He was afraid. You say, man, the, the great apostle Paul? Yes. Yeah, he was afraid of preaching Jesus. Well, why was he afraid? Because he knew that it wasn't going to be well received. He's been stoned and beaten. You can go read uh, in, in uh, the end of 1 Corinthians, we'll see it in a few weeks, when he lists out all of the incredible things that he went through for the gospel of Christ. Paul was afraid. Matter of fact, he was so afraid that God had to speak to him about his fear. Acts 18, verse 9 and 10, the Lord spake to Paul in the night by a vision and said, be not afraid. (laughs) Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace because I am with you. No man shall set thee to hurt for thee, shall shall set, set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in the city. You know what Paul was afraid of? He was afraid to speak with boldness the gospel of Jesus and God literally in a a dream and in a vision And we know God doesn't work that way now. God gives us his word, the word of God. We have the completed word now. But through this vision, God came to him and said, I know you're afraid. <laughs> Speak anyway. Man, so you say, Pastor, why are, you, why are we highlighting all of this? Because he brings it to a culmination in verse four and five when he says, my speech and my preaching, it was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but it was in demonstration of the spirit and the power of God. Hey, the reason I came to you and just preached is because I knew that the gospel could change your life. That's what he's saying in verse four, the demonstration of the spirit and of power. It was, I, I knew that word demonstration. It's like um, a, a, uh, a closed case in court that has been proven. Paul said, it's already been proven of what the gospel could do. And so I knew that if I came with man's wisdom, it wasn't going to convince you. But I just came and said, hey, here's who Jesus is. Here's what he did. And here's what he can do. Well, why'd you do that, Paul? Verse five, so that your faith would not stand in the man's wisdom. But your faith is founded in, it is grounded in, it is solidified by the power of God. All right, pastor, so what? What, what does this have to do with, with me? Here I am, you know, almost 2,000 years after Paul. What does this thought have to do with us? It's this simple truth that if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you need to remember this great thought that our salvation is completely based in the power of God. It is completely based in God's power And here you have these believers in Corinth, they're allowing culture to tell them to pursue man's wisdom. And and Paul reminds them, you're not saved by man's wisdom. You're saved by the power of God, so keep pursuing God. And I want to challenge you this morning with a couple of quick thoughts on this. When you, number one, when you give Jesus to people around you, don't be confident in what you have to offer. You're not a salesman for Jesus. You're not a salesman for Christ. 
And sometimes we can have that mentality. We're at work. I've got I've to convince people through my speech. No, 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 no. Just tell people what Jesus has done in your life and let the demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God be at work in their heart. Tell them what Jesus did in you. That's the first thought. The second is this. As you go through the Christian life, as I mentioned last week, as you go through the Christian life, know that you're saved by the power of God. And since we're saved by the power of God, it is by the power of God that I should live every day. God, I need you today. God, I don't want to walk in my own power. Here's the church at Corinth walking in their own pride and their own wisdom and their own power. And Paul says, hey, stop. Rewind. Go back to the beginning. When you got saved, you didn't get saved because of anything you do. So when you go through your days, stop performing for God. Stop trying to be known because of who you are and what you've accomplished. No, 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 no. Come back to the cross. God's power saves us. Secondly, God's spirit teaches us. God's spirit teaches us. We already read the verses, so we're not going to read all of them. But in verse, in verse six, all the way through number, verse number 14, basically what Paul is saying is that God, listen, God's plan has always been a plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. If you were to go to scripture, and I'm speeding this point up, if you were to go to scripture, don't miss it. Everything in this book, everything points to Jesus. Everything. The word of God is God's redemptive plan for mankind. Genesis to Revelation. Tonight I'm preaching one of my favorite chapters in the book of, uh, of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter number 9, the story of David and Mephibosheth. You say, who's Mephibosheth? You got to come back tonight. And you're going to find out the story of David and, David and Mephibosheth. Say that five times fast. It teaches us how much God loves us. And it's a picture of who Jesus is. I, I could sit here. We could, and we're not going to, but we could for an hour. We could just sit and go to story after story after story after story after story, principle after principle after principle, doctrine after doctrine after doctrine. We could go to the Old Testament and look at the tabernacle. We could look at the temple. You could look at Noah's Ark. You could look at David and Goliath. You can look at David and Jonathan. You can look at Solomon in the temple. You can look at all of those things. You know what they all point to? They all point to Jesus. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 through 14. Hey, God had, God had some wisdom. And he gave that wisdom to people by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit teaches us all of these things. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 5 and verse number 39. Search the scriptures for or because in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. Hey, all of this, it's all about Jesus. And here's what Paul says in verse number 10 of 1 Corinthians 2. God, he's revealed these things unto us by his spirit because the spirit knows all things, yea, knows the deep things of God. In these verses, Paul says, uh, he says, all of this is not based upon man's wisdom. If it was, then the greatest rulers of the world would have got it. But the greatest rulers of the world, they missed it. Why? Because they never believed. But you, 
those of you that have trusted Christ, you believed. And when you believed, God said, I'm going to put my spirit within you. Now, remember how I said 1 Corinthians 2 is just rich? There is a whole doctrine here that I want to just simply say in a a couple of sentences. When you trusted Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit of God moved into you. It wasn't progressive. There's religions that like to teach that when you get saved, God's Spirit kind of moves into you progressively, you know, one step at a time. And so you have to do this, and then God's Spirit is like, okay, I'll give you a third of me. And then you do this, and God's Spirit's like, okay, now you have two-thirds of me. And then you do this, and God's Spirit's okay, like, now you have five-eighths of me. And then you do, that's, that's some teaching out there. I want to help us understand something. Go to the Bible. Go to the Bible, and you'll find out what God said. Here's what God said. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9. See if I have, I don't have the verse up here. I'm just going to read it to you. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9, it says this, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Romans 8 lines it out. When you trust Christ as Savior, the Spirit of God moves in. So, Pastor, why, why bring all of this up? I mean, what does this have to do with us? Here's what this has to do with us and the church of Corinth. They're going through life and they're leaning into their own wisdom. They're going through life and they're like, uh, you know, last week, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, well, I'm of Cephas. And Paul says, man, quit being divided, quit being contentious, quit arguing over silly things. And, and they're like, well, but we have this great wisdom because we have, and Paul's just bringing it back and he's like, no, stop, rewind. You're not doing the hula hoop. It's God. You're not learning all of these great things because you're something special. No, it's, it's God through his word. We say it often, ow, I just hit my shin on that thing and that really hurt. <laughs> I wouldn't normally admit that, but it sent a shock. Oh, give me a sec. Might be bleeding. Uh, that's bad. I forget what I was even saying. You know, oh, I say this often at the church, and I, I hope that we don't miss it. But here's what God wants to do: God wants to take the Spirit of God, using the Word of God, to make the child of God more like the Son of God. But it doesn't have to do with you. Do you know the only? Do you want to know the only responsibility that we have? Listen. Uh, I wish, oh, oh, I wish we could just be on it for weeks. The only responsibility that you and I have in the Christian life is this. Walk with God. Love him. It's not performance-based. You're not going to grow in wisdom because you read, listen, you could read the Bible, you could read it through uh, 50 times in one year and not grow at all. Because Motive. Because we have this pride of like, I'm going to discover things and I'm going to know all of this. I've met people before that they're, uh, they, they profess to know the Lord and they're like, yeah, no, I'm saved. And I've read the Bible through a hundred times. That word, it's never going to teach me. Well, yeah, if you go at it with that attitude, I've got all the wisdom. I've got all that I need. Here's Paul saying, hey, chill out. You got saved by God's power 
And it's by God's Spirit that you learn and grow. God's power saves us. God's Spirit teaches us. And lastly this morning, God's mind directs us. God's mind directs us. Don't don't miss it this morning. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. I want to read them again. We'll talk as we go through. But he that is spiritual. All right, so there's the natural man in verse 14. The natural man that's talked about is the unsaved. Somebody who doesn't know Christ. So there's three different individuals that Paul refers to. Natural man, unsaved. Carnal, we'll see it next week. The carnal man is the saved man that's living like they're unsaved. And then the spiritual. The spiritual is people who are saved and know Christ and have him. Here's what Paul says. He that is spiritual, he judgeth all things. Don't miss it. He judgeth all things. The word judgeth there, it means to examine, to, hap- to apprehend, to sift, or to sort out. The spiritual man, he, he sorts things out. Hey, when you get saved, you now, listen, don't miss it today. When you get saved, you now have a new way of, of thinking, You have a new way of sorting things out. You think differently, not not because of you, no, but because of the mind of Christ that is in you. But then it says, but yet he himself is judged of no man. That means that people don't get you. People don't get a saved person. People don't understand. The unsaved man is not going to understand a saved person. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, you forgave them? Why did you forgive them? You didn't get even? Why didn't you get even? You, you give to church? Why do you give to church? You read the Bible? Why do you? They don't get it. Yet he himself is judged of no man. And then verse 16, it says, for who hath known the, the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Who knows God? Who's, who is God's teacher? Well, nobody is. But then Paul says this, but we, if you know Christ, we, you, You have the mind of Christ. Here's the thought this morning. The unsaved, the natural man, the the, the Corinthian culture around you, they only know what they know. But you have the mind of the Lord. And his mind directs you. And his mind helps you sort things out. And Paul is saying You don't have to go around thinking like the culture around you because now you have a new way to think. The mind of Christ. And the thought this morning is this, that when you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit of God and he reveals to you the mind of Christ, which God's Holy Spirit, remember my quote again just a second ago, the Spirit of God takes the word of God. This is the mind of God. This this book has in it everything about God and about eternity and about this life that you and I need to know. It is the mind of God to us. And because, now don't miss it today, because of the fact that we have God's spirit and God's mind, now we are able to go through life sorting things out. You're able to know that you're going through a trial right now, but I know that God's in control and all things work together for good to them that love him and them are called according to his purpose. 
You're, you're maybe going through a situation where uh, that person mistreated you. But you know, I can forgive them because God forgave me. I can sort it out. You can sort things out. You can see things differently. You can examine things deeper. You can discern. Why? Because you have the mind of the Lord. But here's where I want to go with this thought, and I'll give a last application and we'll be done. Too many Christians are easily pulled into viewing things through the lens of culture. I'm going to say that again, and I want you to think about Corinth and us. The church at Corinth, the believers at Corinth, they were thinking like the people around them. They were arguing. They were bickering. They're, they're, they were looking at sin like everybody else was looking at sin to the point that a man having a relationship with his stepmom was okay to them. Okay, it was okay to them. We're going to see that in a few weeks. They were thinking because of the influence of the culture. And if we're not careful, we too can think because of the influence of culture. And here's what happens. When we begin to allow our thinking to be shaped by culture rather than Christ, listen, we allow culture to give us our purpose rather than the mind of God. We allow culture, and we listen to culture uh, regarding the touchy topics rather than Jesus. Well, like what? Well, we allow, listen, don't miss it. We allow culture to define a gender rather than the word of God. We allow culture to shape our view about marriage rather than the Bible. We allow culture to dictate when life begins rather than scripture. We allow culture to tell us what should and shouldn't be our goals rather than the word of God. We give culture permission to tell us uh, what should and should not be important to us and where we should and should not invest our time, our money, our talents, our abilities. We allow culture to tell us what we should pursue and what should be our dreams and what we should uh, make as priority in life rather than the word of God. And listen, this morning, here's what Paul is saying to the believer at Corinth and to the believers at Moses Lake Baptist Church. Stop it. Hey, you have the mind of Christ. Hey, you don't have to look. Listen, we don't have to look at all the craziness in our culture and get scared. I don't have to look at all of the psychotic news and all the stuff happening and be like, ah, what are we going to do? Oh, the world's on fire. Oh, I don't need to do that. Well, why? He already told me what's going to happen. Things are going to wax worse and worse. Until what? Until we see our hope. Oh, wait, let me say it again. Our hope. Earnest expectation. I don't need to allow culture to tell me fear and, and be frustrated and be divided and be divisive. And it's all about you and get yours and put you first. No, I don't need to allow any of that. Why? You have the mind of Christ. And you have the Holy Spirit to teach you. You have salvation that's not founded on you. So quit letting culture dictate the direction of your decisions. That's chapter two. Stop it. You're not saved, you're, you're not saved by your power. You're saved by his power. You're not learning and growing because culture around you is so wise. No, man's, wis man's greatest wisdom is, is, doesn't even compare to God's foolishness. So stop it. No, no, no. God's spirit teaches you. 
And you don't have to be consumed with having the mindset that matches everything around you. No, 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 no. You have the mind of Christ. You have new priorities. You have new purposes. You have new love. You have, listen, you have new hope. You have a new father. The world says, be confident in yourself and what you have to offer. And Paul reminds Corinth and he reminds us today, it has nothing to do with you. Put that VHS tape in that rewind machine. You remember those rewind machines? I love those, man. I hated waiting for the VCR. Oh, man, especially the VCRs, you had to hold the button down. Whoever invented those was just not thinking. Hey, listen, put your life in that VHS rewinder today. Go back to the beginning. And remember this. Your faith in Christ, it stands in the power of God. You're growing in Christ. It happens because of the teaching of God's spirit. And your direction in life, it can be known because you have the mind of God. Thank you for listening to this message. It's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.